KRCL, Salt Lake City. In honor of Volunteer Appreciation Month, everyone here at the station wants to say thank you to the countless number of volunteers that make KRCL, KRCL. From 1979 to 2022 and beyond, we would not be here without our dedicated volunteers. Whether you're a DJ, you're out hauling the tent all summer, or you're on the board or answering phones during Radiothon, it all goes to making KRCL what we all know and love today. This is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm your host, Rashawn Leak, and I'm glad you've joined us tonight to hear from the folks on the show. I wanted to talk about the Russian perspective and history against the backdrop of the war in Ukraine. Joining me will be Radioactive co-host Emeritus Tamrika Katisviashvili, who was born in the Republic of Georgia and is now a U.S. citizen and Victoria Bard, who was originally from uh, Russia, but now lives in the great state of Utah. But first, let's do rallies and resources. Hey, Rashawn. What's push, going on? You're pushing buttons now, too. I know. It's, yeah, you know what? I am pushing buttons. I don't want to say I'm doing it successfully, but, you know, <laughs> lights are turning red and people are, can hear us, I'm hoping. So <laughs> we got that going on. I'm Laura Jones, executive producer. So excited that you're going to be taking on more of the logistics of the show. And uh, rallies and resources is something we do. Try and get some events on people's radar. For instance, through Friday, Salt Lake Community College's Pre-Dental Association is hosting a donation drive to support Ukrainians who are currently being attacked and displaced by acts of war. Items can be dropped off at multiple bin locations across the Redwood Salt Lake City, or excuse me, Slick campus, including the Student Center, Science and Industry Building, and the AAB Building. That's out at 4700 South in Redwood Road. So here's some of the items that are needed, Rashawn. Personal hygiene items. We're talking razors, soap, toothbrush, socks, deodorant, stuff like that. New or like new clothing for all genders, adults, children, and babies. Baby food, bottles, formula, sanitary products, blankets, and towels. You get the idea. So if you go to rallies and resources at krcl.org, you'll see this item and some links to give you more information. What's on your radar? Well, first, I'm, I want to say, like, where's all our do-gooders at? Let's make sure that happens. So on a radar, I'd say first, let's let's talk about this Saturday, April 16th. I don't know if you're going to be down south, but you should because U.S. National Park Services is waiving all the entry fees to the parks that day. So if you were thinking about going to the park, now's the time. I'm Here's a little warning. I'm sure it's going to be super crowded. So just get that out of the way. Uh, and also, I'd like to talk about, well, we got a special guest, and so this is going to hit a little different, but the Acme session, Bees and Botanicals, Quilting Techniques from Hawaii to Utah, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. That's 410 Campus Center Drive, SLC, uh, and it's, it's in conjunction with the Utah Museum of Fine Arts in Craft Lake City. So it's a free event at the U UMFA. But you know what? I got an email oh, today. Oh, that's right. We got an email because uh, this is being so anticipated that it was no ticket necessary, but you had to reserve a spot, and all the spots have been reserved. Oh, folks. Well, sorry, people. So. But the exhibit that our guest's quilt is in, 
is on display for a couple of more weeks. So let's bring in our guests, shall we? All right, so joining us now, we have with us, you've got the notes there in front of you, the full name, Moani. Yes, I do. Moani Revoir, who was born in Honolulu and raised in Kinoha on the island of Oahu. Oahu. Sorry if I mispronounced that. And uh, she first learned to quilt as a teenager from a neighbor who taught her, and later by completing projects her mother started. What's going on, Moani? Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Of course, of course. So I got to... Like first, I know you, the event is sold out, or or sold out. The free event is sold out. So, congratulations! That's pretty exciting. So, for those who aren't going to be able to go, what what would what would they be seeing if they were in the in the numbers? Oh, the show is fantastic. Several of the quilts are from a museum out of New York, and uh, they are representing different parts of our country as well as different styles of quilting. And we also have another quilter from Utah here uh, with a quilt in the show. This person was from um, Cambodia, and the quilt represents all of the things that this person went through through the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. It is an amazing quilt. And then, of course, my Hawaiian quilt. All right, well, let's talk about it. So, So Hawaiian quilt, all right, I'm... I, I would say, I won't even say an amateur because that would mean maybe I quilt a little bit, but I have no idea what goes on in the quilting world. So so you said earlier that there's different styles. So are these styles part of, like, if you're from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, it's all about that? Yes. The, the quilts that are in the show are patchwork quilts, okay. and mine is the, um, uh, the Cambodian quilt is a lot of embroidery on that quilt. And mine is a whole cloth quilt. In Hawaii, we didn't have lots of pieces of fabric to make patchwork quilts, and so we took bed sheets and designed flowers and, and uh, made the flower shapes and leaf shapes, and, and we cut out the fabric and applicate that onto a background. And so we call it a whole cloth quilt, and it's an applique where you're sewing, basically sewing a shape onto a background. Oh, all right. So birds, so what's it called? It's called birds of... Uh Birds, birds of, of Paradise. Birds of it's paradise. A, a tropical flower oh, all right. that oh, my so mom had oh, growing right. in her yard. Yeah. Oh, so I was wondering. I wasn't sure if like where did you come up with that, but that's that's pretty indicative of Hawaii. Is it is. It is. And most of the traditional quilts are tropical flowers, and my quilts. Um, I will have several of them, of my quilts there on on Thursday night. But uh, my quilts are all out of um, designs, flowers that grew in my mom's yard. And uh, being up here and in the wintertime, and we don't have an awful lot of flowers. um, So I like to design and bring back those memories. Well, absolutely. Well, I love hearing that. I didn't even realize how much it was tied into you. So so is that what keeps you coming back to quilting? Is it is it almost like a connection with your family? I know you're here in Utah, but is that something that brings you back to, to, to Hawaii? Yes, it is a connection, and connection to my mom. Um, I remember being in diapers, and mom would set me on the sofa, and she'd say, stay there, and she would spread out her fabric. And, of course, being in diapers, I didn't want to stay there. <laughs> I was going to say, And that's so my mom... Uh, 
she'd get her all of her fabric laid out and pattern laid out and and start sewing it down and and of course I'd be right there in the middle of it so she just very quietly fold it all up and put it away and I didn't see those quilts until I was a teenager when she brought them back out and of course she never finished them Mm -hmm. and I inherited them and so I've spent the last 25 years working and um, getting those those finished plus designing my own own. all right so i hear 25 years like the average so say i was to get into quilting tomorrow uh no 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 i don't like that because it's going to take me forever in a day if i was uh, a little more than a novice quilter how long would i expect to do to you know, a blanket size quilt. Oh, you don't never want to start no? with a blanket okay. size okay. Hawaiian See, quilt. <laughs> my novice, I told you all, I'm a novice. Uh, you'll want to start with a little cushion, okay. either a 12 inch cushion or or 24 inch cushion, and and the cushion top. And if you don't like it, then you don't have to finish it. You all know? right, all <laughs> right. So I learned a new word thanks to Laura. It's called craftivism. And I learned that some use the medium as a way to share intel in wars previously. Some have used uh, crafting as a means of protest. So what, where do you get your inspiration from when it comes to crafting? From my family, um, from memories growing up there, going to school, walking to school barefoot, you know, which we can't do here. And, <laughs> no. and uh, just family and friends. I have quite a few Polynesian friends. and. And uh, lots of inspiration from family. So I'm, I'm hearing, so family, friends, I'm hearing it's yeah. very communal. Is it that, is. Is very. that the, the vibe that well, I'm... Well, quilting is communal. Um, even patchwork quilts, you would have quilting bees, and the pioneers would get together. That was a big thing to get together and, and quilt together. So it's very com- communal. All right. So is there, so I, I was talking to Laura before you got here. And I realized, I was doing some research, uh, and I realized that Utah is considered like one of the quilting, quilting cunt state, I don't know, I don't know how to describe yeah. it, but we're, we're pretty strong in the quilting game, if you will. very strong. There are 60 gills here in Utah, quilt gills. All right, so there's like, yeah. so, so is there competitions? I'm not thinking like a West Side Story kind of thing, like we're not, you know, like taking each other's ideas. How's that work? There, as far as I know, there's not competitions, but we do have a lots of lots and lots of shows. In fact, I, I have a quilt that hung years ago in the Festival of the American West out in Logan, and took a blue ribbon. Um, there's quilts that hang in at the state fair mm-hmm. and, and county fairs. So uh, we just like showing our work. As well, you. We should. don't need to compete with each other. Well, I, you know, <laughs> I, I love that because it feels like a lot. Of, a lot of things we do is for competing, right. and, and so it's. It's nice to hear that there's a medium that's just doing it because of the love of quilting. Exactly. Okay. So is there, as someone who's not quilted that I got called out, is there is there something that you would say that starts, you know, if I wanted to go into a, a quilting store, I guess, you know, what would I ask? Like, how do I get started? For the listeners who are like, okay, I'm you in, I, you know, we got COVID, we got a pandemic. I, I need to have something to do with my hands to take my, my thoughts right. off of everything going on in the world. Oh, you can walk into any quilt store and say, teach me how to quilt, and they will jump to it. Okay. They will. Yes. All right. Are there certain patterns that are a little more beginner-friendly? Uh, for a Hawaiian quilt, yes, there are. Um, anything that is uh, has nice curves and maybe some sharp points and... and uh, 
with patchwork quilting, there's lots and lots of very simple um, patchwork quilts where you're just sewing squares together okay. and different colors and you can arrange the colors and, and you can even make quilts out of t-shirts and um, denim jeans and anything, any kind of fabric that you have. All right, I got a bunch of old KRCL T-shirts that need some yes. quilting. Yeah. Uh, so, well, you know that's what I'm thinking. You know, the hippie in me is like, oh, I got a bunch of tour band shirts that yeah. that would make a pretty fantastic quilt. They would. So, how did you get involved with the UMFA? Oh, okay. So I, um, I'm part of the um, Utah Arts Culture here in Utah, and. Um, they approached me many years ago and asked me to do a quilt for the show, and they they permanently housed it in the Chase House Museum, which is in Liberty Park. And so I I did that quilt, and every time it goes on display, um, a different group asks me to come and talk or teach quilting, and so that's how I got started here. I was just quietly doing it at home by myself, but I had a friend who who knew that's what I did mm -hmm. and and so let what, them know. What's the design that normally attract like about that piece? What's what is it that attracts people that's like, okay, I need to have that in my spot? It's so Hawaiian quilting is so different from patchwork quilts because you're taking a large piece of fabric and you're only take cutting parts of it out in and making it in the shape of flowers and leaves. Mm -hmm. And then you're applicating that onto a background fabric. That's just the quilt top. And then you can layer it and make a quilt out of it. And because it's so different from patchwork quilting that it usually attracts people's attention and the colors. Mm -hmm. um, the one that's hanging at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts right now is a pink on pink. And so it's bright, it's so different, and the fabric um, is different from the other textures of fabric in the other quilts. I love it. So if somebody was, if somebody's listening and they're like, okay, I want to, I want to learn how to take quilts from, I don't want to use the term the master, but, but somebody who is very, very good at their craft, how would they, how would they get in touch with you if, if you are open to teaching classes? Um, just let the Utah Museum of Fine Arts know that you're interested, and uh, Chase House, uh, they have asked me to do some summer workshops for them. Um, as If there's enough interest, yes, I'll be happy to, to help people out. All right, and I just want to, for the people listening, Moani's Bird of Paradise quilt is in the Hand Stitch Worlds exhibition, which is on view for five more weeks through Sunday, May 15th. Uh, we already talked about it. You know, it's the reservations are not required but encouraged. Uh, and the UMFA offers free admission days the first Wednesday and Thursday, uh, first Wednesday and third Saturday of every month. So there are two more free admission days during the run of the show, Saturday, April 6th and Wednesday, April 4th. And now that I put it out in the airs, I'm, I'm expecting it to be book up. Uh, so I'm looking at you, listeners. April 16th. Oh, is it April 16th? Did I say, did I say, say April, April 6th? Oh, April 6th. Sorry. It's April 16th, y'all. April 16th and May 4th. All right, well, thank you so much for coming down. It's It's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Of course. Sean's got a new hobby, Joe, just an alert at home. Oh, so. no. Do not, do not put that. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to enter into that game. 
All right, and now we have a little song. Everything is simple. Widespread peak, and the album is the jacket. Guadalupe School in Rose Park needs volunteers to teach English to adult immigrants in our community. No teaching experience or a second language is required, just the desire to make a difference. More information at guadschool.org. Salt Lake Community College's American Indian Student Leadership presents its Spring Social Powwow Saturday, April 16th, from 12 to 10 p.m. at the Taylorsville campus at 4600 South Redwood Road. For more details, visit the events page of krcl.org. This is Al, KRCL's punk rock farmer, bringing you true tales from the agri-hood every Friday night on Radioactive, which we can only keep doing with your support. Radiothon starts April 22nd, Earth Day. It's spring again. Welcome back to Radioactive and Roundtable Tuesdays. I'm Rashawn Leak. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now! Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8. Connor's Late Night Lowdown starts at 10.30 and Super Sounds with Chovy at 1 a.m. All of our programming and the radioactive archives may be found online at krcl.org. Now, let's get to our Roundtable Tuesday discussion going on about the Russian, going, going about the Russian perspective and history against the backdrop of the war in Ukraine. Joining me once again is radioactive co-host Tamrika Kutishvashvili. What's up, Tamrika? Hi, Rishan. So nice to be back here. It's nice to have you back. And Victoria Bard. Baird. Uh, Baird. Baird. All right, I, Baird. <laughs> I, I mispronounced it last time, so I'm trying to get it right this time, y'all. Welcome to the show, Victoria. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's nice to have you. You know, so... So I want to start off with kind of like setting the stage there, you know, and, and folks just, you know, it's about to get a little heavy, but, I, but I really wanted to have both of you on, well, Tamrika, cause anytime I get to work with Tamrika, I'm jumping at the chance, but, but also just to have the perspective, you know, I mean, we're, we're hearing a lot of things going on, uh, in, in Russia and Ukraine, but it's really through a Western lens, you know, I'm, I, we're hearing it, you know, whether it's like myself or Laura talking about our other, you know, democracy now or other stations, talking about it but i but we haven't really heard about you know and i don't want to say boots on the ground because i know you both are you know respectively in the united states but but just it, you're going to have a different lens than we are naturally just so one i, I want to start by just you know setting the tone and just say you know if you can give us kind of a back backstory of you know where you're from and and where you are now so i'll, I'll start with you victoria all right well i was born in russia in a city called irkutsk uh, which is the east side of Russia by Lake Baikal, which is by border with Mongolia. Um, so ba basically the east side of, um, of Russia. But then my parents moved to the western side of Russia in the semi-autonomous republic of Tatarstan by Kazan. So we do have those republics uh, inside of Russia. They definitely would like to be independent, but they can't because they're inside of Russia, uh, so deep in, in, in the land. So... I actually do have Ukrainian roots. My grandmother was born in Ukraine in a city called Bila Tserkov, or the White Church, uh, that had been decimated by, by the war, and I actually watched it on TV. Um, and my, mo my mom was born there as well. I also had a privilege to be in Ukraine um, twice. 
uh, in, back in the Soviet Union time, and uh, we've been enjoyed Crimea as well. As we know, Crimea now is annexed by Russia. I left Russia in 1994 uh, and lived in the Baltic states. And I came to the U.S. to be a student at BYU and been living in, in the Utah since then. I worked in, ac in academia for several for-profit businesses. I ran a nonprofit grassroots organizations for the U.N. women here and currently work for a fintech company in Lehigh. Uh, I have three degrees and I'm finishing my second master's degree in diplomacy and sustainable development talking about diplomacy right mm -hmm. just what we need um and i'm getting it from the UP's uh university mandated by the un so basically what we're saying is she's a heavy hitter y'all in case you're <laughs> wondering that that bio speaks for itself and tamrika just in case uh people haven't heard your voice in a while why don't you step up to the mic and give us a little bit of your origin story i i think um Maybe uh, some of our listeners probably know a little bit of my history, but basically as far as my heritage goes, I was born in the country of Georgia, which is uh, um, part of, used to be part of Soviet Union, but um, is on the Black Sea next to Turkey and Russia. And uh, I'm half Russian, so my mother is Russian, my father is Georgian. Um, I was born in Georgia, but I spent, I kind of grew up between Moscow and Georgia. And uh, I have lots of family in both of those countries, and Georgia has kind of been an important player in this because we saw similar activities on the smaller scale in Georgia a couple times, um, most uh, famously in the last 20 years, but also before that a few times. And um, currently, I have a family mostly. Uh, I have father, and my father lives in Moscow, my sister lives in Moscow. My sister's husband is Ukrainian and lives in Moscow. So it's very, very much a family affair that's happening right, right now, like between just our conversations and, and um, or non-conversations that are happening are very real for us. Mm -hmm. so, so if I'm at a party and this topic comes up and people are like, oh, let's not talk politics, it really pisses me off of because course. I'm like, for you, it's politics. For some people, it's life, you know? So if you're my buddy, we got to talk about it. Yeah. Because it's not a privilege for me, you know, to have a choice to not talk about it. I, and, and uh, you know, and I'm going to just call this out there right off the bat. Forgive my ignorance, but this feels, it's, it's much harder than what we experienced when, you know, when we had the last election. Previous, not not this one, but the one in, when Trump was elected, and it feels like there was a lot of split households. You know, people people feeling like, oh well, you know, we need something different and things like that. Obviously, what's going on is much much more serious, but it feels like you know, like uh, both of you had described. You know, you have you you have split split families where families are both Russian and Ukraine. So how is that? Probably everybody's reality is a little bit different. I can tell you mine, and and then uh, Victoria. I don't want to, you know, she yes. can tell you hers. Um, for me, I have a lot of uh, Putin supporters in the family, but um, I also have uh, some that are not. Um, as far as how they speak to me about it, it's pretty much we're not. The conversations don't really happen, you mm -hmm. know. Um, I ask, and uh, we kind of the topics are sub, you know, the the topics change. Um, with my father, it's a little bit more direct, and he actually does talk to me. One more layer that makes this complicated is because uh, parts of Georgian territory are occupied by Russia. There's lots of 
anti-Russian sentiment mm. in Georgia, which is actually really difficult for me because I have a really hard time uh, people uh, villainizing Russians. And I think it actually has been happening for many, many, many years. Decades. Decades, you know. And, and I think it actually continues to happen. And people are like, no, we're just talking about Putin. But I'm like, well, I know. But five minutes ago, you just said all Russians, you know. Yeah. So we, we have to be really careful, you know. And um, I do see a lot of anti-Russian sentiment. Um, not, and I'm, just, I'm not talking about the news. I'm talking about like yeah, actual, actual like family members saying stuff. And being half Russian, that's really complicated too because they're actually not on the same level, but it's still suffering. But there are people suffering in Russia as well. Absolutely. Um, and one kind of pain does not dismiss the other. So while Ukrainians are losing their lives and and you know houses and jobs and uh, cities, and that's horrible, Russians on the smaller level, but on a very different emotional level, are also uh, going through a really hard time. And I'm talking about um, major emotional, psychological issues that Russians are facing. And just one more thing I want to add, I'm uh, working through U.S. Embassy um, in Russia right now doing some contract work, and I'm speaking to a lot of Russians directly. So just even outside of my family, people that I don't have emotional kind of attachment to, you know. Um, and it's hard for people. There's guilt, there's confusion, there's sadness. There's also like pride in their own country and trying to understand mm -hmm. U.S.'s involvement and West. It's complicated. Absolutely. So um, just want to throw out there that it's, it's not just like poor Ukraine, horrible Russia, right? There's just many more layers there. And I, I think often we don't talk about those in the West. Right. And and what about for you, Victoria? What are what are you hearing? What are you know, what's the family talking about? So I definitely can uh, agree with Tamika. It's it's so layered, complicated, and especially coming from this sort of duality of nationality that you sort of uh, um, represent. So my family is um, sort of when I left the left to the U.S. even many years ago, kind of had that sentiment that I was a traitor. So mm. it's kind of from the get-go back in the days. Uh, how could you? Did the Soviet Union didn't teach you anything in school? Uh, because America for so long been viewed as an enemy due to the Cold War. My dad was a communist, and so, and so, and through the years, um, you know, it's kind of all melted down, and uh, and so. But this particular um, war uh, definitely brought this up again, and uh, they know where I, where I stand. I went to many protests, I fundraised for Ukraine and, and things like that. And again, that sentiment of, you know, you're sold out to the West, but no surprise by now, and, and so things like that. So me personally, um, I try to keep it to a very family level. Uh, let's not talk about politics because, um, I'm just afraid for the family because mm -hmm. I know, I'm not sure if you know, but uh, the law came out that if you are uh, supporting Ukraine, then it's up to 15 years in, in prison for, for that. Um, and so I try not to, uh, I basically would say, how are you, is your health, is there anything I can help you with? And so kind of on this very, very, uh, uh, what is a day-to-day -day living. Uh, um, and so um, one of them, basically reached out and asked, kind of asked me that question, is anybody like 
against you in the U.S. Like that's what's sort of going with Tamika's sort of sentiment here, meaning um, like are they doing to you anything like Americans or anything? I said, no, I mean, I haven't experienced any, um, you know, enmity towards me or anything like that as a Russian. And the same with the Ukrainians that I hear that I know. um, And so uh, the protests that I went there actually were just so supportive that there is a Russian, the Russian people that are here supporting and so and so on. So, uh, but I agree with you how uh, difficult it is for Russians now as the sanctions are rolling in and uh, not only it's obviously affecting uh, the Putin's regime people that are involved in it but it's also now involved regular people Mm -hmm. as they cannot get money Um, you know the the basic foods as I hear are scarce and medication as well especially the medication from the west Uh, and you know some people rely on that as well Um, yeah well I I I think you both touched on something that a lot of people have this myopic view. You know, we we are, you know, it's very similar. You're like, oh, well, Russia's doing this and Russia's doing that. And and I find myself reminding people that this isn't a Russian issue. This is a Putin issue. And there's people who are protesting. There's Russians in Russia protesting this and and dealing with the same consequences that people that are pro Putin and 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 post sorry not and against Putin are going uh, going against like you're you're seeing people get what is it there you know you, you talked about the sanctions the sanctions while it sounds great i have to assume it like you said it's it's hitting regular people it's it's hitting people and so when you start cutting off people's bank accounts how how are regular people going to eat and going to live if if they have no access to money so what what are you hearing about like with boots on like people who are there and dealing with sanctions? How how is that? Uh, my sister lost her job. My father can't access his account. Uh, my father's uh, wife, who works for you, and all the offices have been shut down. So yeah, like all my family, close family, mm-hmm. they're not working or they don't have access to. I mean, they have access to money if it's in Russian banks like mm, so okay. I mean to to understand that correctly but if you had any kind of foreign money you know um, and of course you can't leave they can't leave I mean it's um, the the some of the programming that we do through educational uh, office in US Embassy directly deals with the universities in Russia and uh, schools in Russia and um, students are not showing up um, there's major like there's major depression, anxiety. Um, I had a professor recently who was presenting at a huge conference. This woman is amazing. She's a powerhouse. She's worked so hard. And when she started um, presenting, there were people from all over the world. It was on Zoom. Um, everybody left because she was Russian. And when she started speaking, I mean, it broke my heart. So she started crying. I mean, it's. Just to say, like, it's it's affecting people's lives on many levels and all kinds of people, you know, and we talk about the news sources in America, like, we don't know what's real here. And now think about, you know, and we, we kind of, I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking and talking about that, how misinformed people are here, whatever side you're on, right? Mm-hmm. Think about what's happening in Russia. So, yeah, sanctions have direct, direct impact 
um, on people. And I, I want to go to you, Victoria, because Tamrika touched on something that, that you talked about when you visited, uh, when you went and visited in June, and you talked about seeing uh, uh, propaganda and, and things like that. And, I, and it really speaks about, because you, you, you want to take face value of what you see on the news, because you have, you know, we have to believe that the people who are reporting are, are doing it earnestly and honestly. But what were you seeing when you were over there? So I was in Russia in June to visit my family. And so access to my, my, my parents basically only listen to the um, regular channels um, and not really interested in much anything else. And so there was definitely propaganda going. Um, basically, the news will be um, enter West, um, definitely talking about Donbass uh, region at that time. Um, and so, um, what is it, denazification of Ukraine. So those news as well, so coming through. Um, obviously, me as a, I mean, I have access to other things. Um, and so to me, I was like, okay, let's see what's, the, what's happening in the U.S. Is there anything there, anything like that? But I definitely can imagine that if this is what only you are mm -hmm. listening to, so this is your sort of source of... of uh, the, of the information about what's happening in the world, I I understand where they're sort of coming from, um, and so yeah, it's it's a difficult. Uh, you don't want to you know burn the bridges with your family as you know they're important to you as well, um, but at the same time saying you know um, attacking a sovereign country is not right by any means, and so and so and I did express that. So, but we don't, like I said, we don't talk politics anymore, so. And you're listening to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Rashawn Leek, and we're talking about, basically, we're talking about the Russian uh, and Ukrainian issue with Tamrika and, uh, with Tamrika and Victoria. And so I, I want to go back to you, Tamrika. So we can't see or we don't know about the Russian mindset. So is it is it European or is it something bigger than that? Um, Russian mindset. Yeah. Um, all right, I have a lot to say about this, and so I don't. I actually, I think it's really important as we talk about this war that we um, don't talk from this very uh, extremely. Um, how, how, can, how can I say this? Kind of victim perspective, mm -hmm. you know. Um, America, so nobody in clear mind can support this war, right? right? However, America has supported many wars. Thank you. And, um, and when America engaged in wars, and I will say this and I mean it, as brutal as the war in Ukraine, um, American people did not have to pay sanctions. It did not affect American lives ex unless you had soldiers in your life and so mm -hmm. on. Of course, it, some lives were affected, but if we, if we make comparisons, you know? And I think I love that American people stand for ideas of sovereignty and freedom and um, people choosing their own government. But I also think it's really important to understand that um, it's easy to stand for those ideas when you never pay the price for the war. Um, and America is not fully innocent in this war. I think um, 
again, this war is brutal. Any war is brutal. Um, however, you know, I mean, we can, if you want, we can talk about NATO expansion, and we can talk about is that good, bad, right, maybe right. it's subjective, but, you know, I mean, Russia tried to, it's not right, but Russia did try to show the West what they would do if, and they did it through Georgia, and through Ukraine earlier, if uh, NATO continued to try to expand east, what would happen? You know, so um, does that justify the war? Of course not. Of course not. But we can't. We have to talk about the interests of superpowers. And Russia is a superpower, even though uh, it's it doesn't have as much economic power. It's like maybe what Texas produces or something, I think is the comparison, but but it is one of the superpowers and so is US and US absolutely does not allow certain mandolin in its affairs, you know? So um, I don't think Russia is of European mindset at all. Mm -hmm. So I guess your original question, yeah. no, it's, it's, it's a superpower and right. it's trying to hold its ground. Um, it's doing it through military forces. Um, has America done that before? Yes. Right. Uh, so you, thank you. Always on point. Uh, so you bring up a great, uh, a, a great segue, and I want to go to you, Victoria, because okay. I know you are getting your second master's degree in diplomacy. And so, if Russia was an ally, similar to Israel, would we be having this conversation? Would we be having the same conversation? Probably not. Um, I, I think that, um, I don't know if this is uh, going back to, you know, Cold War mm -hmm. and we're sort of reminiscing in this and we can say that Putin also tried to, let's get back the Soviet, the po Soviet Union power uh, back into the perspective uh, on the world stage as the Russia sort of losing that um, unless they're not trying to ally with China and mm -hmm. India sort of going east um, instead of uh, going to Europe and the West and so on. Uh, but definitely, you know, the, the Russians could say that to Americans, you know, well, look how much you defend Israel um, in the, at the expense of Palestine mm -hmm. uh, territory and what's been done between those two since 1940s. Yep. We still cannot figure it out how to peacefully coexist those two nations. And so... And I agree with Tamika, yeah. U.S. definitely has been involved in the wars they shouldn't have been involved. Um, and the same with Soviet Union. We have Afghanistan back in the 1980s and 70s. Yeah. And I still remember when um, some of my uh, younger friends, male friends, will come in the zinc coffins. So to me, that was very real. And that's when I became a pacifist. And, and so, um, yeah. So Putin was good for Russia at one time. I mean, especially, I'd say, what, the Russian economy, full grocery shelves, you know. So so I would say b between both his times as, as uh, in power, what he, I guess it would probably be around 17 years. Why, why do you feel now? Like, so he, he was in the early 2000s and now currently. So why attack Ukraine now when he had chances before? What, it, it doesn't... I, this is the one thing I've never fully understood, and you know, and I've been kind of, you know, s 
do as much research as I can, given the you know access to the information we have. Why why do you feel like it makes it you know you already said it doesn't make sense, but why do you think now we would be seeing an invasion of all times? So um, I think a lot of uh, people have talked about how it was coming actually to mm. to, to a degree, yeah. although okay two different points. Um, I back to NATO expansion. I think at some point, and I was trying to. I actually had a note exactly what year that was, but when it was proposed that Georgia and Ukraine potentially join the NATO, Putin very clearly <laughs> said, absolutely not. This, uh, now, he doesn't, he shouldn't have a say over this, right? It's not, they're not his countries, but he is the, the powerhouse next door, and that's how politic, that's how the bullies work, right? And uh, it kept getting pushed, right? And and finally, when it was proposed again, initial conversations actually were very much about like, no, if Ukraine does not join, we will stay out of it. Now, some people believe this invasion would have happened anyway. Yes. I actually don't believe that. Mm. I don't believe, I don't believe this invasion would have happened. I don't think, I, I'm not, and this is, you know, this is really kind of a difficult thing because it's like, well, doesn't Ukraine get to decide, right? That's always the argument. Like, they're free people. They should be able to decide what kind of government they want. Um, when you're next to a powerhouse, I mean, I don't think, I don't think Russia necessarily ever dreamt of that they, they would take over Ukraine. I just think they wanted pro-Russian government right. instead of pro-American government. Um, is that wrong of them sure i mean but if we had pro-russian government in mexico we would probably not like it either i'm just showing like different arguments yeah. you know mm -hmm. um so i think thus the invasion i mean i actually think initial um conversation was there mm -hmm. it doesn't get covered here a lot but right. there was a conversation no like stay out of well, yeah. like uh, my backyard i mean of course the other side of it would be like well ukraine gets to decide i mean if you want to go even deeper then we could talk about how this current power came to power and right. a lot of people would think us was involved in that so it it, it gets it, it gets complicated you have you have big powers like america and Russia, and I would argue China. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, trying to um, have financial gain, final gain of resources, and uh, power, sometimes just power. So, no, and I, I think, you know, and I, I'm going to go over to you, Victoria, but I think that's a good call because I think people forget that the reason NATO exists was because of Russia or the USSR at yes. the time. And so, I, I think there's definitely a tie-in. But what are your thoughts, Victoria? Uh, so, yeah, the, the main goal of the uh, basically NATO is to protect the smaller countries, especially the Baltics. I used mm -hmm. to live in Vilnius, in Lithuania, and visited Latvia and Estonia um, and so on. And definitely I can see how. And they've never really wanted to be part of the Soviet Union. Um, and so grateful Finns back in the 1930s that won that Finnish war with the, with, the, with the Soviet Union. And so um, in the same sort of Ukraine, it's still a smaller country mm -hmm. uh, than Russia and has in Belarus as well. And now you have this like powerhouse of Russia. I can see how for Ukrainians that could be a 
strategically beneficial mm -hmm. to be part of NATO and part of the EU as well, and so on. Um, I don't know. I, I'm more of a person. I actually been very happy when they when all those republics finally uh, got the independence and uh, sort of please build your own country, do whatever you want now, um, and so on. Uh, and kind of instead of the reciprocation of, of languages and, and what happened during the Soviet Union, and so I think Russia has enough of land and oh enough of problems gosh, to seriously. fix within, the, within its own country as well. And so, uh, so uh, Ukrainians, you know, always been the freedom-loving people since if you look at their history as well. And... Um, that's why I, I stand with the Ukraine. And I, and so. I love that. And I think mm -hmm. it's a reminder. You know, it's one of those things when you see, as an American, when I see us go into war, and I think we have issues here that we, you know, all the trillions of dollars that we spend on munitions, what we, what we could do if we put that into education and we put that into the housing crisis and we put that into homelessness mm -hmm. or our unsheltered. And so our, it, it's it's just crazy because you really put it into perspective. When you say they do have a, a lot of land. They've all we, you know we've always known Russia to you know to have a lot of people that not everybody can eat. So where when you see this going on, it's like well take care of your own before you start worrying about other other things. But but as a are are you surprised to see how much of a fight Ukraine has been able to put up as a small nation? Uh, I'll go first. Um, I mean, surprised, sure, but it's in, I've been to Ukraine many times. Okay. I love Ukraine. Um, I have relatives that are Ukrainian. My half-brother is Ukrainian. Um, you know, being part of Soviet Union, being part of some kind of country that kind of, you know, controls, uh, you know, languages, culture. I mean, there's some independence, but for sure it was a controlled environment. Nobody could argue with that during Soviet Union. All of the countries, then republics, put up a fight. I mean, we, Georgia fought for its independence fiercely in the early 90s. The Baltic republics fought the, for their independence, you know, um, Ukraine. So I think that need to have your own identity, which existed before Soviet Union, by the way. Like a lot of times people, I think, misunderstand that this country somehow came into existence during Soviet Union, but they've, they've been around for a long time. So I, I, it, it doesn't surprise me that independence and love of freedom doesn't surprise me. Um, I do think Ukraine got a huge boost by having this like Western support. Absolutely. And that's really, I mean, um, you know, when invasion happened in Georgia, we, we didn't get this kind of reaction. We were not covered on the news um, as much mm -hmm. uh, or almost at all, really. Uh, so I think that helps, you know, have like support of the West, of course. Yes. But so surprised, but I don't want to say surprised as in like I didn't expect it out of European, right. I mean, out of Ukrainian people. But um, it's it's nice. I guess it's nice to have people feel that good about their ethnicity. Although mm -hmm. I, Tamrika, am very uh, wary of nationalism. I have yeah. really hard, I come from a country that's very nationalistic. Georgians are very nationalistic. So are Russian. Right. <laughs> Ukraine in general nationalism, I think, is really dangerous. But uh, but it is in this instance, I think they didn't have a choice. So, yeah, of right. course, they have to put up the fight. 
You know, it, and it's funny that you say they don't have. No, it's not funny. That's not right words. But it, but that you say that they didn't have a choice. But reading some of the things, I was reading that Putin and and they were surprised that there was such a fight put up. They almost expected to be welcomed with open arms. It, does that surprise you hearing that, Victoria? So I I think because they're like so you have we had Crimea right. So mm -hmm. the first step was basically annexing Crimea which was since Khrushchev, Khrushchev basically gave that part of the uh, coveted um, land uh, to Ukraine, that Ukraine part of the Soviet Union, the Repu Ukrainian Republic of the Soviet Union, and so on. So, but it was kind of like under the sort of this rug of the success of the Sochi Olympic Games kind of, and mm -hmm. nobody really, I mean, uh, US didn't do anything really much. There's no sanctions really. Um, and so on, and then sort of uh, they was like, well, let's uh, let's see how the eastern Ukrainian will go and so on. So they looked at the Donbas region, and I think, but when I think it's all been kind of stopped building up by the borders, and um, and especially when it's like getting close to the capital of Ukraine, Kiev, I think um, definitely got serious. But I'm 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 proud of Ukrainians for Absolutely. standing up. Um, and uh, women and, and children and uh, uh, obviously men. Um, so, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to stay with you, Victoria, because you have you, you put a, a bullet point in the email that you sent over, and it really it, it it struck a chord both myself and Laura. So two things one does not choose in life: parents and their motherland. So let's talk about the hopes and fears given because I love I, I absolutely love that statement. I, I you know, I I I'm going to use that later and some I, I'm going to use that a lot. I'm holding on to that. So thank you for that. Uh, but let's talk about hopes and fears given. You know, you have family. You both have family there. You have friends there and you now living in the U.S. How like what are what are you hoping comes out of this? Like where where do you see it ending? What what are your fears from back home? Things of that nature. Um, definitely, the, the hope is that uh, the war ends as soon as possible, um, and so because it's not only Ukrainian people are dying, but there's also Russian soldiers. And from what I heard, again, um, again the information here with the quotes uh, that some of the Russian men uh, and as you know in Russia, army is um, required, and so at least for one year now, as far as I know, they didn't even know that they're actually part of the, uh, I mean, they realized that they're part of an invasion, but really didn't know that they actually were supposed to now shoot and kill. Um, mm -hmm. And so instead of just training and things like that. So I definitely hope that this ends as soon as possible. Um, I naively believe in diplomacy and especially when the powerhouses like that are playing the games, um, it's always uh, c civilians that are in between, unfortunately. Um, so the fear is definitely that it's it's probably going to be a long conflict, mm. sort of prolonged. Um, so that's the fear, which is going to affect obviously Ukrainians. More people will be fleeing now because they're now actually they're moving more east mm -hmm. into uh, into Ukraine. I don't know if they want to divide Ukraine actually, and sort of leave that western part um, alone for now and so on, um, but also it's prolonging Russian 
people that are now under sanctions for how long mm. are they going to be under sa sanctions um, and so so that's also the fear on that side right. um, and I think the whole sort of situation basically destabilization of political systems and, and the world it's you know effect will be affecting the US how long can we support the Ukraine um, and so yeah that's I guess my fears and, and I want to I want to take the yeah. same question to you, Tamrika. So what 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 are your hopes and fears at it w with all of this going on? I mean, um, absolutely agree with Victoria. Any war, this war, is horrific. I hope um, I hope it ends with diplomacy. There were some. I feel like there were some actually possibilities for diplomacy in the beginning uh, that didn't take. Um, I. I kind of think it's still a possibility, but um, honestly, for that diplomacy to work, I think West would have to butt out, and I don't mm -hmm. know at this point that West will butt out. So I don't know if diplomacy is the way to go. I think initially it was possible. Um, my hope is gonna be, I am Georgian, I'm Russian, but I'm also American, and I'm gonna concentrate on my American side because my hope is that me as American and my fellow Americans think about the effects of war when your country is engaged in it. Mm -hmm. And when I say country, I mean that country's government, right? And the kind of coverage we do of different wars, there are people dying today around the world that America supports. Um, we talked about Palestine, you know. So the reason I bring that up is like we need to all understand where our tax dollars go mm -hmm. and who we support. And the war in Ukraine is horrible. We should do everything we can. I stand with Ukraine 100% um, to help Ukrainian people. Uh, but we should also stand with Palestinian people <laughs> and people of Yemen. And I say just few countries only because those are the countries that U.S. is engaged in directly. Um, through military. Uh, so maybe as, as an American looking at what kind of wars we cover, like why is it that we didn't talk about Iraq? We also bombed schools and children and there were also pregnant women there and mm -hmm. um, there were, you know, just all the stories that you hear that are so, so heartbreaking coming out of Ukraine, but hear. they happened in Iraq as well. And we never heard anything and just kind of challenge our media challenge our government challenge our policies um because we do have freedom here you know maybe my sister can't talk to me about uh things in russia because she genuinely doesn't have that choice right. she, she doesn't get to really vote you know and she um my sister who lives in moscow but we, we do have a little bit more say here. So right. to be oblivious to where our money goes and who we support and why is uh, a shame. Absolutely, absolutely. And Victoria, as we as we get ready to close, what what's your advice for listeners hearing this conversation that don't have family and friends directly involved like, like you both? I actually would like to, you know, add to oh Tim yeah, Brica, do, um, so to challenge again the foreign policies of the United States as well. I do remember marching against the Iraq War mm -hmm. uh, myself uh, because it didn't make any sense to me. I knew it's just for oil and gas and and other pretenses of looking for the uh, weapons. It was just a 
for there for nothing. And so, um, to me, like I said, so challenge is um, who we elect. Be wise of that. What's their stance on foreign policies? Um, as a as a U.S. is the major political and economical player here still, and so um, yeah, question those decisions. Uh, ask them questions. Why why my dollars are going to just like you said to bomb people in Iraq or Afghanistan? Uh, why media is not covering Syria? It's been or Yemen more, or Bangladesh and, and other um, also uh, hot spots in the world and things like that. Um, and um, definitely support the Ukrainian people, mm-hmm. uh, especially refugees, as they're s- literally in the middle of all of this. Uh, continue on. Uh, there's a lot of events that s- continue will be going on as the um, as it will be uh, th- the uh, war will be going on still, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I think that's well, it. Well, thank you so mm-hmm. much, and. And that's our show. Thank you to all my, all our guests this evening. Check tonight's show notes for links to them and their work and their organizations. If you have some feedback for the show, send it to radioactive at krcl.org. I'm Rashawn Leak, and I want to end with a quote that I found from uh, Victoria's email, another gem. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are free to abandon it. That's our show. Take care, everybody. KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. When you own your own business, it's so important to connect to the right audience. And through KRCL, we can connect you to a community-first, shop-local crowd through on-air messaging. And that's why we're encouraging your business to issue a tax-deductible challenge grant this Radiothon. Challenge grants are affordable and effective marketing plans that include on-air messaging, social media, and more. Connect your business to an ideal audience today. Email trinab at krcl.org.